You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Welcome to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm for Thursday, May the 15th. This is Jim Hedger from metamen.com, Dave Davies from beanstalk-inc.com. And wow, Dave, spring or summer has finally come to the Pacific Northwest. Dude, it has, and uh, perfect timing. We've been planning a camping trip this weekend for a while, and it looks like we're finally finally going to get that weather. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a long weekend up here this weekend, isn't it? It's a long weekend, and we got uh, looks like uh, well for those in Canada about thirty-one degrees. Uh, well, I guess the UK, and uh, I don't know what that turns into in Fahrenheit, but uh, bleeding hot is what I'll refer to it as. <laughs> bleeding hot, somewhere in the nineties, and man, it couldn't come soon enough. It has been a bleak, awful, cold winter up here, as you know, as demonstrated by the coldness of Steve Ballmer's heart. Now, as uh, regular <laughs> listeners to Webcology know, Dave Davies and I live in Victoria, British Columbia, which is just sort of up the straight from uh, Seattle, Washington, which is pretty much the headquarters of Microsoft. Well, Microsoft uh, stepped away from a Yahoo deal a couple of weeks ago, about 45 to, uh, 45 to $46 billion worth of Yahoo, and we thought it was pretty much sharp possibly pretty much over then, but apparently it's not. Interesting day today, eh? How exciting is this? I, I am just, uh, I'm just a buzz. <laughs> if that's the right word to use. I think this is just, uh, this has just made the game so much more fun to watch. Well, uh, absolutely, but kind of scary. Now, for uh, listeners who aren't really aware of what's going on, I don't know how you could avoid this one today. Um, Yesterday it was announced, or Carl Icahn, a billionaire corporate raider based in New York, announced that he had, uh, in the last few weeks, acquired about 4% of outstanding shares in Yahoo. Now, people have been wondering why Yahoo share prices have been up, stayed up in the $25, $26 range, um, even after uh, Microsoft stepped away from the negotiating table. Well, it's because this guy and... uh, 
and his company have been buying as many outstanding shares as they could. Somebody was going to sell them. This guy comes along and buys them. Um, what he's doing, what Carl Icahn is doing, is he's taking the Yahoo board to the proxy site we expected Microsoft to take them to. And he's hoping that in doing this, he can push Microsoft back to the bargaining table. What do you think of his chances, Dave? I think his chances are, are, are really high. Um, I mean, it, it's not a situation. We know the intent of Microsoft. Uh, we know they did it a year. They tried for it a year ago. Uh, we know they're trying for it now. Um, what this, I think, does as far as Microsoft's concerned is kind of shows a weakness on their end, and this is ironic, but from a business standpoint, um, that Carl is able to accomplish what they could not. Um, and I think that really says says something. Um, but at the same time, we do know that they've had repeated interest in uh, acquiring Yahoo. Uh, this is a, a great opportunity, and I mean, really, it's it's quite out there. I mean, Carl's already um, put forth his in, his intentions to do so. Microsoft hasn't responded yet to to which way that would go. Um, this is a, at least uh, according to a Wall Street Journal article. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that they would be interested in it. They can probably get it at, at you know what they were. What, well, Carl, you know, ICANN isn't isn't an idiot, so he knows that you know what they were offering before. They're probably willing to go a little higher than that. Uh, you know, obviously he's standing to make just enormous amounts of money off of this. Um, Microsoft can get what they wanted for for you know, pretty much what they were offering. Probably not, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more. Um, and I think the the shareholders of Yahoo are. are you know, a lot of them, at least, will be looking to get out. I think this is just one of the um, one of the best moves I think I've seen in a long time in uh, in the search market, and uh, you know, probably in in the business marketplace in, in a long time. I think this is just a, a brilliant move. It has its risks. What if Microsoft says no? Um, but even if Microsoft says no, what? So he's left with a bunch of Yahoo shares. Like, it, it, you know, your loss is certainly. <laughs> you know, it's certainly worth the risk at that point. I think uh, for us, I mean, for me personally, and, and for for the SEO and online marketing community, I think this is just, if nothing else, he's made this a really, really exciting time to watch. Well, I'm going to read a few names out here. Um, these are, according to the New York Times, these are a few of the names that uh, ICANN is floating as his proxy board. Um, he's got Lucien, Lucien Bebchuk, a Harvard Law professor, Frank Bondi Jr., former CEO of Viacom Universal Studios, uh, a name well known to well known and loved by Webmaster Radio listeners, Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks and founder of Broadcast.com, one of the first dot-com billionaires, um, Keith Meisner from ICANN Enterprises, Brian Posner, uh, CEO of ClearBridge Advisors, a venture capital firm, uh, Robert Shane, chair and CEO of New Line Cinema, and of course himself, Carl ICANN, CEO of ICANN Enterprises. Now. I want to, you know, I want to remind you, Dave, of who Carl Icahn is. This guy's a corporate raider. His, um, his modus operandi is to grab stuff, buy as much of it as he can, break it into component pieces, and sell those pieces for whatever he can make. He's, uh, he's had a history of doing this in the past. He tried to do this with Time Warner just last year. Um, do you do you think he's going? To, he wants Yahoo as a complete unit? You know, I mean, you you bring up a very good point there. Now, I'm basing and and you know a reliable source that it is according to the Wall Street Journal from just earlier today. 
he has contacted Microsoft, has not had a response back yet. Um, but I think that really clarifies what his primary intention is, and, and who wouldn't have that? I mean, he could, he could easily, if they are still interested, and I think we can pretty safely assume that at the right price they are, um, it makes a lot of sense from his standpoint to reduce the amount of work, get in, get out, and make yourself, I don't know how many millions upon millions of dollars, um, you know, in the transaction for, you know, what is, I'm sure it's a lot of work, it's putting out a lot of money, but he can probably make uh, a very, very healthy percentage return for what is essentially uh, a very quick flip. Um, in the event that Microsoft isn't interested, though, I think that's where it gets a, a lot more interesting, and I think for Yahoo, uh, a lot more dangerous as one of the actual, you know, employees or uh, or executive there. Um, in that, uh, yeah, he, he's going to need to break it up because it's going to be worth more in its individual parts um, than it would be as a whole. At the same time, I think there is that, you know, that's a lot more work. I think if he can get in, flip it, get out, and just, just pass it off to Microsoft, uh, I think that makes a lot more sense from his standpoint. I would guess that's his primary objective. And then if that doesn't happen, then I think we're going to see, uh, well, really interesting things happen, but uh, a lot more uh, kind of break up and, and, and sell the component pieces. Well, yeah, clearly, clearly his... Uh his intention is to get Microsoft back to the back to the bargaining table and try to get something um, north of uh, thirty-one dollars per share. Um, the other, the, I mean, obviously, the other wild card here is um, what if Steve Ballmer turns and says, "Sure, I'll do it for twenty-four a share, twenty-five a share." <laughs> I mean, I think I think I think this kind of essentially puts Ballmer back in the driver's seat again. And this, this is assuming that the uh, that the proxy fight is actually successful. That I can. Um, is actually able to replace Yahoo's board with his proxy board, and it's it's, it's interesting and, and notable that ICANN has appointed a slate of ten potential board members. That's that's the entire board. He's not he's not going after the easy route, two or three people to uh, you know sway sway the vote. He's going clearly. I think he's going after Jerry Yang's head. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I think you're right. I think you're right. And it, even from that perspective, I think it makes a lot of sense. If he can not just have sway, but absolutely dominate, um, you know, everything there, uh, I think that that opens, just right opens the door. I think Microsoft would be a little hesitant to go into any kind of negotiation where they were dealing with a Yahoo that was, that had a friendly sway, but was not dominant, uh, you know, mm-hmm. does, does, do they want to go in again, going, we might lose again? Um, that would just be a, an enormous, you know, they've got one black eye. They don't need a broken nose to go along with it. Um, but if he can come in offering a absolutely dominant, basically what I say goes kind of scenario um, with a, yep, and I'm going to be friendly because I want this deal to go through, I think that prevent, uh, provides a very different environment to Microsoft and, and an environment that they'd be happy um, to launch into. They made their initial offers into a questionable environment. Um, what would they be willing to offer in a environment where they knew that success was guaranteed if they just, um, you know, sort of uh, play the right game and, and offer the right amounts? Well, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be really weird. There's still the Google poison pill to deal with. Um, you know, Google and Yahoo still have their advertising deal. That's something Microsoft can't live with. Um, you know what? I, I guess we can sum this up with may Yahoo live in interesting times, and these are certainly, certainly interesting times. It is, it is very interesting. 
Um, and, and I'm just going to, because it, it segues us to, uh, to some other interesting news, I'm just going to close that off with, with, I think, my favorite quote uh, from this entire, uh, this entire game. And it came from uh, Jim Safka, the chief executive uh, from Ask.com, who, uh, in commenting about it, was quoted as saying, I love it just when you thought Microsoft and Yahoo were going to get uh, on with their lives. It's going to paralyze them once again. Uh, and I think he summarized it, but I think this is going to be a very, very quick uh, paralysis. It's either going to succeed or fail. We'll we'll know very quickly in this case. Yep. Well, speaking of uh, acquisitions, an interesting one came came about in the uh, search media today, or in the in the internet media today. CBS has acquired CNET for one point five billion dollars. That's like forty five percent above uh, their current share prices. So uh, CBS now owns CNET. CNET owns its own search engine, a meta search engine called Search.com. Um, maybe we're getting back into the days where uh, the large media companies are focusing themselves on search again. Yeah. <laughs> you say that with some doubt there, Dave. Um, you know, I mean, it's funny. I was actually just chatting uh, with Daryl here about this uh, a little bit before the show. Um, were I CNET, I would have gone with this deal thinking it was a great deal. Um, were I CBS, I would have gone with this deal thinking it's a great deal. Um, as a me, um, looking at exactly what you're saying, um, you know, CBS now owning a, some major um, online media and, and bridging this gap, uh, personally, I don't like it, but that's just truly a personal thing. I can't see CBS, uh, and, and may they prove me wrong, uh, and I would love if they do. I can't see them making CNET a better um, resource. Uh, I, I'm imagining that it will become a, a little more slanted. Um, but, again, may, may they prove me wrong. I hope they do. It just always makes me nervous when I see this, uh, this bridge of, of major... Um, you know, non-internet media taking over. Uh, if it was CNET buying CBS, I'd, I'd be in a. <laughs> I, I have oh, a you're much like AOL buying Time Warner, right? Eh? Pardon me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what, what are your feelings on it? Um, well, I, I, you know what? In one on one sense, I'm really happy about the purchase. I like seeing an online media company valued so high. I think that um, that 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 shows the the strong value of. Um, of the search and the internet media, um, CNET's done an extraordinary job over the last over the last decade defining itself, um, and it's faced some it's faced some fairly stiff competition. It's still worth 1.5 billion, and um, Dave, you know, um, my thoughts are about to be preempted. Uh, just got a flash from the studio. We've been we've barely gone too long there, dude. Uh, we have to cut to break. Uh, before we do. Before we do, uh, there's a special person in the search marketing community that I want to recognize right now and do a shout-out to. Um, it's Kim Krauss-Berg from Create a Site uh, Forum. Sometime in the next little while, Kim is celebrating a milestone birthday, and I'm just a little too polite to say which birthday it is. But uh, Kim, all the stuff you've done for the search marketing community and for the cause of usability. Hun, we love you. You are... Uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal contributor to this industry, and happy birthday, sweetie. Happy birthday! Any thoughts on that day before we hit, before we hit commercials? You know what, I mean, you, you, you summarized that beautifully. I don't think, uh, think anybody could, 
you could really add to that uh, a great contributor and uh, and certainly somebody that we hope for uh, for many 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 more from. Okay, friends, we're going to be coming back in a few minutes. We have to pay some bills here on webmasterradio.fm. This is Webcology with Jim Hedger from MetaMen.com and Dave Davies from Beanstalk Dash Inc. We're coming back with, uh, well, with Google, with the Anita Borg Scholarship winners from Google. It's going to be it's an excellent interview. We'll be back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Welcome back to our coverage of the 17th Annual Golf Invitational, brought to you by SureHits.com. When looking for the right ad network, there seem to be unlimited choices. Go with the only network that targets the insurance industry, SureHits.com. Let's head down to the fairway. Here we are at the 18th hole. Odd choice for Ken Mitchum to not go with SureHits.com here. I mean, they are the only ad network that targets the insurance industry. Definitely a strange choice to not pick the best option for publishers in the finest category, but, oh, here's a swing. Oh, look out, folks. Terrible slice into the woods. Jeff Burns now stepping up to the fairway. And it looks like he's already chosen SureHits.com. Clearly the best choice since they pay more for quality traffic. And the swing. Oh, my. He crushes it. When getting ready to make your drive, go with a sure thing. SureHits.com. For insurance, it's SureHits. Um, hello. Uh, welcome to our website. Website traffic isn't about paying for clicks. Okay, so I guess we're going to wait until everyone shows up and then we'll... Uh, um... It's about having the right content. So while you're searching for more traffic, the folks at InfoSearch Media are creating the content people are searching for. With InfoSearch Media, you can get more traffic for less money than PPC. So the next time you need to speak to your customers... Welcome to our website. They're already searching for you. InfoSearch Media. Get content that really clicks. The following WebmasterRadio.fm program is an encore presentation. Tonight's program is pre-recorded. I, however, live... SEO 101. Class is now in session. We're talking social media and link bait with Brent Satoris. Social media is a platform to give your content to an audience. So the conversion ratios are the same. All you're doing is you're increasing your numbers substantially. So those same people, the one in every hundred that come by your site, if you put 100,000 people through there, the ratio still remains the same. You get 100 links out of it. New episodes Mondays and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. And check out their live broadcast Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Or on demand anytime inside the Search Engine Optimization Channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. This is Rainmaker. How did you get into this? You didn't just wake up one morning and go, I want to become a club passer. I learned when I was about 13 and learned how to juggle three balls and just thought, this is the greatest thing. He's over here dying. Age 13 and juggling balls. It's, uh, it's everything. I don't know about I'm growing up. <laughs> She's killing me here. Rainmaker. Live broadcast Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Or on demand anytime inside the entertainment channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Don't get caught in a web of confusion. Learn the ropes on webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Welcome back to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm. It's Thursday, May the 15th. This is Jim Hedger from metamen.com and Dave Davies from beanstalk-inc.com. And we have a uh, 
we have an interesting pre-recorded interview. We recorded this interview on Monday with with uh, Google and with one of their um, scholarship winners, one of their Anita Dork scholarship winners, uh, Selena Gibbs from the University of Victoria. Now, just a, a quick rundown on who Anita Borg was and why Google has a scholarship in her honor. Anita Borg died of brain cancer in Sonoma County, California on Sunday, April 6, 2003 at age 54. She was one of the pioneers of women in technology. After completing her PhD in computer science in 1981, Borg worked as a leading edge researcher for several IT industry giants. Six years later, while attending one of the dozens of industry conferences, she was providing support and mentoring other women um, at these conferences, and she noticed a lack of women at, at, the, at the conference. This is back in the early 80s. So she started a uh, forum called Sisters, which was an email list that was designed to provide support and mentoring for, for women in IT. Well, it's grown to include over 3,500 women in almost 40 countries. And she was also the driving force between the Institute for Women in Technology and the Grace Hopper Celebration of Women in Computing. Um, shortly after Ms. Borg died in, uh, in 2003, Google announced a scholarship for women at, at the time it was at women at American universities, and now it's women at uh, universities in the United States, the UK, Australia, and in Canada, who are leaders in the well, who are leaders in, in IT and who foster other women in IT. When it was announced that a woman from University of Victoria, Dave Davies and, and my hometown, was one of the winners, we wanted an interview. We asked Google if we could get it, and they graciously, they graciously agreed. And friends, here it is. We're speaking with Jordan Bookie, the Global Diversity and Talent Inclusion Program Director at Google. Is that correct, Jordan? I'm a program manager. Program manager at Google. And we're also speaking with Selena Gibbs, an MSc from University of Victoria, who's working on her PhD, who happens to be one of the winners, the Canadian winners, of the 2008 Anita Borg Scholarship. Now, for listeners who aren't familiar with Anita Borg or with the scholarships that were named after her, Anita Borg was uh, well, a, leading, a pioneer of women in, in IT. She died of brain cancer on April the 6th, 2003, in Sonoma County, in California, at age 54. And, well, in lieu of flowers and in lieu of other memorials, Google set up a scholarship in her name, um, directed mostly at, well, directed primarily at, at women who are leaders in, in IT. Um, a little bit. You know what? I'm sorry, guys. I want to do that again. That that was an awful introduction. This is the last time, though. I swear. Okay. All good. Thanks. This is a special a special edition of Webcology today. We're uh, well. We're honored to have on the line Jordan Bookie, Global Diversity and Talent Inclusion Program Manager at Google. She's responsible for the Anita Borg Scholarship, so for uh, managing the Anita Borg Scholarship Program. And we have one of the Canadian winners of the 2008 Anita Borg Scholarship, Selena Gibbs, an MSc from University of Victoria, which incidentally is Dave Davies in my hometown. Um, she's working on her PhD. Uh, Selena and Jordan, welcome to Webcology. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Jordan, could you tell our listeners a little bit about 
the Anita Borg Scholarship Program? Absolutely. So as you alluded to, Anita Borg was a, a female computer scientist who really devoted a lot of her adult life to revolutionizing the way that we think about technology and really took down a lot of the barriers that had um, previously kept women and minorities from entering computer computing and technology. So she not only was a very brilliant computer scientist, she also was an organizer and was somebody who, who brought together and created a community of, of women and created a community where there not, wasn't one before. And one of our, uh, our senior vice president of research, Alan Eustace, used to work with Anita Borg and uh, knew her work very well, as did many of the other uh, executives at Google. And so uh, five years ago, uh, they just, he and many of our other corporate uh, executives uh, across the board who value the legacy of Anita Borg and wanted to continue her uh, commitment to broadening participation in the industry uh, decided that we would, as you said, in lieu of, of doing flowers or sort of a traditional memorial, decided that we would um, we would instead launch this scholarship, and not just launch a scholarship where we um, cut checks and send checks to women. It's specifically for women uh, students in computer science or related fields. Um, and at the time, it was just in the U.S. But it's not just sort of cutting a check and giving the scholarship, which was the initial idea. And then we thought, well, let's do something. Uh, in Anita's honor and something that is really in the spirit of her of her legacy, which was also to create community and to create a, a core group of, of people that could um, really uh, drive change. And so instead we invited the first group of scholars for retreat to Google uh, and, and really worked on, on establishing a community uh, among those among those women. And now it's obviously turned into a much bigger a scholarship and more global scholarship than its initial inception, but that was really the idea was to do something that is is both a technical retreat and also a lot of fun, uh, similar to uh, the Grace Hopper Conference, which is something that Anita Borg founded. Something that we wanted to create the same type of idea and spirit in the scholarship that we created. How long has Google been offering the Anita Borg Scholarship? Um, this was the fifth. Uh, the fifth year of the scholarship in the U.S. And this is the first year that has been open to um, women in Canadian universities. Yes, and I believe we've also had it for three years in Australia and New Zealand. I'm not positive about that. I'm, it's two or three years. And then we've uh, had it in Europe and now uh, Russia and Middle East for two years. Well, Selena Gibbs, you're a MSc of computer science at University of Victoria, working on your PhD. What made you decide to apply for the Anita Borg Scholarship? Well, it's interesting, Jim. Um, when I first saw the, the scholarship advertisement posted at up at UVic, I I did a little research and, and looked into you know who Anita Borg was and what she really stood for. And, and I know you guys have, have sort of um, talked about that already and how she's done so much work or did so much work in the area of bringing more women and minorities into the field of computer science, really, um, really underrepresented. Um, but the other thing that, that really stood out for me was she, while maintaining this, this service record, she had a phenomenal research record too and she did amazing research in the area of systems and that's the area of um, my research 
for my PhD. And so those are those are the two reasons that really um, sort of stand out in my mind and, and really prompted me to to apply for the scholarship. So how did you find the application process? Okay, so the application process it was pretty rigorous actually. We had to we had to um, supply our CV for essays. Uh, we had to provide two letters of recommendation from uh, uh, people that knew us and provide our, our transcripts. So the, our CV sort of allowed us to outline our, our research background and, and, um, and the, the, the advances we made in those areas. But the essays really allowed us to get into the outreach activities that we've been doing, and um, and I think that's that is so and that's really in keeping with with what Anita stood for and trying to to encourage more um, to encourage more more women and minorities into computer science. Um, the project that that I founded last summer um, in August of 2007 was the Access Project, um, Aboriginal Connections to Computers, Engineering, and Software Systems. And so um, I began that with a, with a small grant that I was awarded from the Pacific office. And uh, and it started off with just a small camp last summer where we had some First Nation students from a, a nearby community come in and do computer science activities with us. And the program has just grown by leaps and bounds, and that's really where um, where the the connection to Anita Borg comes in, and where my um, my application, the four essays of my application, really really uh, stem from. So it was a very rigorous application process. Um, Jordan, what's harder, getting a job at Google or applying for a Nita Borg scholarship? Yeah, well, I I think that they are uh, they're both they're both rigorous processes. Um, I think that for the Anita Borg scholarship, we place obviously a lot of emphasis on technical expertise and looking at the research and uh, grades and and the the work that all the young women have have done and shown and their um, technical capacity and that's. That's really we can see that in the in the eligibility requirements, which are high. Um, and then there's another component that we take into uh, probably disproportionate consideration with the Anita Borg scholarships, which is really the um, the leadership and the community building that the the women have achieved, and that is a very critical piece of looking at their their um, track record of of how what they have done and in the, um, the world of women and computing and what they've done to really advance and organize around those issues and really broadening participation in their own communities. And, uh, and, and so that for Anita Borg scholarship is a very critical, uh, a critical piece. I imagine the selection process must be, must be heart, heart-wrenching. There's so many great applicants you get. How many, how many applicants do you get? It was very difficult, season? actually, to sit in the, uh, to sit in the review uh, room with all of that. We actually have a, a committee of um, self-selected uh, women and, and male engineers uh, in the office and across multiple offices for this who reviewed uh, all the applications, we read through all of them painstakingly and sitting in that room and really going through each, every every individual, we, we spent time discussing and providing feedback on, on every person, but it was 
painful because there were so many wonderful applicants and people who were really doing incredible things that we had limitations. <laughs> well, of course, there can, there can only be so many, so many recipients. And Selena, when you are a recipient, this must have a, a huge impact on, well, on yourself and on your career. Um, what has winning the Anita Borg Scholarship meant to you? Well, I think, Tim, I mean, it's just been an amazing experience right from, you know, right from the application process to um, to getting the phone call from uh, Google to say that I had, I had actually won to the trip to, down to New York. The um, I think the biggest impact that this scholarship has had on me is Going for that visit to the Google office in New York and meeting this amazing group of 17 women that from Canada that are managing to maintain a, an impeccable research record while uh, leading um, outreach at initiatives across Canada. And it really has shown me that you can um, maintain a career and, and service at the same time. Um, and I think that's, that's a really important um, lesson that I've taken away from, from this whole experience um, in terms of, of more, more uh, career-oriented. I mean, it, it opens up um, a lot of avenues for internships and, and that sort of thing and, and uh, obviously looks great on my CV. But um, it, it was really neat to see at Google what, what kind of systems research was going on, and and um, we got to, to talk to um, a lot of different uh, people. Um, Stuart Feldman, um, the, the v, one of the VPs of research there, was saying that one of the things that he really saw as one of the next up and coming up and coming areas of research for computer science is dealing with with um, parallel architectures and um, the many core and multi core um, architectures and and that really uh, resonated with me because that's that's where I'm sort of pushing my my PhD research towards so I, I think I mean it, it's the the number of opportunities um, for myself are just are growing. It's I, I just can't even keep up. Now I'm just going to jump in here with a with a quick question. It seems now now this may truly show my my ignorance being a, a you know sort of typical male in technology. Um, it seems from the outside that this would be a sector that would have essentially a, a perfectly level playing field. What sort of challenges are there to women? Uh, in the technology sector. Um, let's start, Jordan. I'll direct this at you first, but I'd be very interested to hear the take of, of both of you on this one. Yeah, I'd imagine that Selena has um, has a, a more uh, personal perspective on some of the um, challenges that she has faced. I think that uh, we see a number of things, but primary among them are it, it right now is the, the fact that there's a declining number, a declining percentage of women who are graduating with or studying and graduating with computing and information sciences degrees, and so uh, a major a barrier with, is then it's, it's, uh, is then thinking about um, having a, a community and having um, having other women in classes with you is, is sort of one uh, barrier that we see because there's so few. Uh, women and, and uh, also underrepresented minorities and who are uh, studying and uh, partaking in these classes that it then becomes um, an even more heightened problem. So 
that's one major piece. And then um, I think that there's there's also sort of this uh, perception of what is computer science and what are people working on. It's not necessarily a, a barrier to women, but I think that it is something that might steer women away from uh, studying and remaining in computer science is that there is certainly a, a the, the exciting things that Selena was speaking um, to that we that we presented when she, when they came to Google and that the young women who are studying this already know all the cutting edge and really um, impactful work that's being done in computer science is not necessarily being uh, presented or represented well to uh, women who are entering universities and so they're then not making the choice to uh, to to study and to remain in these degrees and are oftentimes finding that um, there's sort of a there's a culture that is that is um, at, at this point is, has remained very a male dominated culture and so it's if they do decide to stay, it can be very challenging to actually remain in programs without um, without having a, a community built up around them. There are challenges you're... at the industry at the industry level, I would say, but the, at the university level, those are how I would name them. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Can you believe how long it takes to order food here? Uh, here we go. Excuse me. She's not even looking over here. Great service is hard to come by. Whether you're sitting at a bar, restaurant, or creating effective search advertising campaigns. Um, excuse me. I think we need to go somewhere else. It's easy to feel forgotten, especially when your advertising budget is on the line. LookSmart serves up to 400 million queries a day with a side of the best customer service in the online advertising industry. Hi, how are y'all doing today? What can I get you folks to eat? You were right. This place is so much better. LookSmart, premium and performance advertising solutions. Okay, so you're telling me that if I put the Go Currency Converter on my site, all my international customers can see how much they're paying in their own currency? Yeah. GoCurrency.com has free currency converters, language translations, international clocks, everything you need to do international business. So how does it work? Conversion elves. Conversion elves? Yeah, watch. Want to know what this will cost in euros? Check this out. Listen up, elves. We got one. $34 US. I need that in euros. Now, people. We got it. Put it up there, elves. Wow. Currency elves. Who knew? GoCurrency.com. Free currency converters, language translations, and more. GoCurrency.com. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998 and formerly known as Joe Bucks, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. It's time to do your thing. Affiliate thing. Hey, this is Sean Collins from WebmasterRadio.fm. And, um, and I'm... Uh, oh, do I, I not get to say who I am? Is it your show now? 
I flubbed my lines. I... Just because you're the righteous host, and I'm just the and. <laughs> go on, go on, go on. I'll just sit back, let you take over. Go ahead. I'm going to just sit here in the pod cave, and you okay, let me know if you Sean need Collins me. and Lisa. <laughs> Affiliate thing. Dig it. I broadcast Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Affiliate Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Find Webmaster Radio now on Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. Add us today from the WebmasterRadio.fm homepage. Want a hot pod? Load it with WebmasterRadio.fm and play with us all day long. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Selena, would you would you agree you're in the trenches, so to speak, um, right now? Is that a is that a big problem uh, from your take on things? And and do scholarships like this help to sort of advance and, and sort of promote uh, more women being involved for for longer durations uh, through the university process? Oh yeah, I think for sure, Jim. I mean, just the the recognition itself for maintaining a uh, service and research research record record is. I mean, it, it does a lot for for um, um, just to keep these kinds of things going and keep people going. Um, but to speak to to the number of women in computer science, I mean, obviously going through my undergrad and and. Uh, and masters here at UVic, I've noticed that you know I'm one of the one of the few women, especially in the area of systems. And you t- we talked about you know Anita Borg and and her research area was systems. It was actually at um, SOSP, that, which is a, one of those hardcore systems conferences that um, that this that Sisters was founded by a group of women in in the bathroom at a coffee break, <laughs> which is, you know, and and interestingly enough, I was able to attend SOSP last year, and we actually began the conference a day earlier with a women's workshop, which I was able to attend and, and heard um, uh, talks and presentations from, you know, leaders of, of, um, of women leaders in, in the area of systems research. So I think we are making advances in this area and and the recognition of those advances is is what's what's really phenomenal and here at UVic we actually have one of the highest percentage of female faculty in uh, in our our faculty of engineering which which encompasses computer science we've got uh, I think more than 30 percent female faculty here yeah I was just going to um, sort of build on that I think that that was one an additional thing that we uh, that Selena just spoke to is the idea of, of role models and really having that's a critical piece that are actually having other uh, people faculty members uh, in university campuses uh, making those more representative as well and I also you know Selena is um, also a mom and I think that uh, even beyond being a mother you find that oftentimes women like to have uh, a lot of involvement outside of classroom walls and outside of the technical work that they're doing and so finding a balance especially in in light of a of a field that is uh, notorious for being something that's perceived to sort of be uh, people working into the wee hours of the morning on their computers and and uh, sort of tinkering and, and just completely focused on the technical work and not necessarily having this whole life outside of it that can um, 
seemingly be a barrier as well because there's uh, obviously there's a, a desire for a lot of um, for a lot of the female students, not, not all, for many to have um, to have a, a varied uh, university experience that is beyond the specific technical work, or in addition to, I should say. Yeah, that's, that's interesting, Jordan, because remember at um, we had a panel, A Day in the Life of an Engineer, and there was a panel of, I think, five or six um, Google engineers and all of us um, students, female students from, from Canada. And the, the main questions were, how do you maintain a balance? Um, how do you have a family? Um, how do you introduce children into into this sort of sort of a lifestyle? And it, interestingly enough, I think I was the only one in the room with kids. Is that right, Jordan? Uh, y- yes, uh, you were the only one in the room. And I guess uh, yeah. you, you weren't able to take your kids to New York on the on the <laughs> retreat. No, no, not and not this church. time. <laughs> No kids in the Gramercy building? <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, I did speak to some of the engineers later on because, I mean, it was a really big topic of discussion between some of the, the students, and uh, they were really interested in, you know, in, in how people are, are dealing with that in both industry and academia. And there were a few Googlers that we met that, you know, did have families and, and really spoke to the fact that Google is very supportive of, you know, the, uh, a flexible work structure and, and uh, which is is great to see. Now, a few minutes ago, Selena, you were talking about um, some of the projects you were exposed to when you were when you were at Google at Google's New York office last week. One of them being parallel computing. Um, I'm curious, what are some of your ideas on the well, I guess on the future of your areas of interest? What, what are you studying right now? What are you looking at right now? So myself, um, my master's work, I looked at at sort of focused on middleware, looked at a Java virtual machine, the memory management subsystem within a Java virtual machine, and looked at how that was structured and alternate ways of structuring to provide um, a better, um, more evolvable, more, um, I guess, from a more software engineering perspective um, to support um, evolvability and and, uh, and sustainability of these of these systems that ultimately everyone's applications run on top of, and so for my PhD, I'm looking at at digging into that a little bit deeper. We we look at um, the machines that are coming out now, you know, dual core, um, quad core, and the question is, do the applications that 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 people are running are they really making use of these of these uh, multi core uh, architectures, and so I'm looking at at ways to support um, uh, providing that that functionality up to the application layer, but at the level of middleware. And so, um, so really making uh, far looking more at robust, how software to take uh, language of virtual machines or um, uh, come into play in that area, and how we can we can better support. Um, um, advances in that area with both um, uh, software engineering principles and tool support. So your trip to New York, the networking you've done with with other award recipients and other well and and Googlers um, or Googleites, have you found any extra support or any um, inspiration? 
Well, like I said earlier, it was really inspiring to hear that, you know, these, the VPs of research are really, you know, this, this is a hot area. This is where they, this is where they say that, that, um, advances need to be made. Um, uh, we talk about, about, uh, Moore's Law, which says that, you know, architectures, uh, or speed, or speeds of computing are, uh, should be doubling every 18 months. Well, you know, the, this is happening at the level of architecture, but are our applications keeping up with it? And, and to, to have Google working on these same problems that I'm, that I'm looking at is, is, uh, really inspiring. I think there's a new one called Jobs Law, which says that everything has to get a lot smaller, faster. In any of the the, the meetings you had in, in New York, or any of the, the meetings you've had with Google over the, the application process, does it give you a greater sense of what the major uh, software houses or the major networks are looking for when hiring? I was just thinking, you know, it's that's a that's a good that's a good question and. I don't know that we really at the retreat got into, you know, what Google would be looking for in terms of technical ability, but I really, what I really resonated with me was the team work that goes on there and how everyone works together and it's very much a, it's not a hierarchical structure, it's very much groups working on a single project. and working really close in really close quarters, so the ability to really work together well in a team um, team setting is, I, I think, the thing that resonates the most with me. I should add to uh, what Selena. I think Selena. The question is, what were, did, did she get any insight into who we're looking for um, in terms of recruitment? And in this weekend, although we do a ton of recruitment for women in technology, and we are always actively trying to. Uh, to recruit great women um, engineers to come to Google, we certainly do not view the we view the Anita Borg scholarship as something completely outside of recruitment. Um, we we truly view this as as doing as something that is contributing to broadening the field, broadening participation, and really encouraging women to, in fact, remain in their universities and to stay and to pursue higher degrees and to um, to really build a presence in the field. And, of course, if they one day choose to come to industry, we'd love to talk to them then, but there's there's no uh, recruiting pitch or anything of that nature that we do at the, at the actual retreat. You know, we, we, you've touched on it a couple times here, the, the issue with um, women joining into the computer sector, leaving, uh, that this may have a lot to do with, with the numbers of women and, and just that it is a male-dominated industry. Um, it's definitely a very positive thing, as Selena has mentioned, um, having scholarships like this set up. But is there something that we can be doing on a sort of pre-university level, catching people at the at the high school level and, and even before to, to sort of gear the industry slightly different or give it a different face so that it is something that women would want to enter into university to begin with and maybe even up those numbers earlier on. Yes, definitely. I think when you look at industries, if, if industries only looked at the numbers game, right, if industries only were trying to build their workforce based on the pool that's there right now and weren't focused on pre-university or sort of what you might call in the states K-12 initiatives, um, then we would all be uh, looking at the exact same pool of people. And 
then you're just talking about transferring from one company to another, and, and then we're not really broadening the field. So absolutely, Google and a number of other technology companies, I think, are looking to and actively support K-12 initiatives um, to help develop a pipeline for the future. And we, we certainly do that uh, here in the U.S. and, and are expanding uh, beyond the U.S. now. Um, we recently uh, started a partnership with uh, Actua in Canada and are sponsoring their girls program uh, for this summer and um, and also through our university programs help support uh, initiatives like what uh, Selena would might be we're not specifically supporting Selena but other university students um, are doing and and look to also support those initiatives that are being run through universities that are serving K through 12 and we absolutely believe that the the long-term answer is to to look towards uh, to look towards a much younger generation. Yeah, in, at UVic here in, in our in our computer science department, we have um, the Women in Engineering and Computer Science office that that focuses on supporting um, women throughout their undergrad, their masters. Um, we also have um, our Sparks program, which is solving problems with algorithms, robots, and computer science, and where we have kids come in to the to the university and and they actually learn how to program they're learning how to deal with constructs that we teach our first year students with conditionals and looping and it's just amazing how quickly they catch on and these kids are you know ranging from grade three up to high school it's really it's really phenomenal and that's the place tremendous. To, to get kids as, as early as as early as possible to get them excited in science, and I think we we definitely uh, will start to see the the fruits of of that soon. I would hope so. There may be a, a tremendous gender imbalance in uh, other parts of the world. Uh, Dave, Selena, and I are all from a city called Victoria on the west coast of of Canada, which is a very progressive city. Um, Will things be changing in the rest of the industry in, in North America or as China and India become bigger parts of the industry? Will there be more women in, in technology? I can say that Google will do its absolute part, and we are in all parts. We're a global company, and we have a commitment to broadening participation uh, among women in technology in all of the markets where we operate. So that, that does include China and, and India. We have... Um, Awards similar to the NIDA board, but not exactly the NIDA board for women in technology in India, and um, also have a presence, uh, diversity and inclusion programs in our in Asia Pacific region. And so we certainly um, on our end will be working to do that. And I'm quite certain that other companies in our in our uh, industry will will be working to do that as well. It's, it's yeah, it's critical to to the success of the industry at large. So I'm sure that that's, there's a a business case for doing it. Go ahead, Selena. Sorry. Yeah, I was just thinking about uh, Jordan. I you were you and I were talking about this earlier, where um, Grace Hopper, the inter- the conference down in in the states, which it, it uh, draws international international um, contributions, as well as. In Canada, here with, in our home gym, um, we have the CC West Conference, which is a Canadian coalition for women in engineering, science, trades, and technology, which is going to be held at the end of the month. And this, this really gives an opportunity for um, women to come together and, and meet and, and, and sort of um, uh, 
provide provides them with a, a venue to to show their the research that they're doing. We have to close the segment out now. I'm getting a message from the studio that we have to go to commercial break. Jordan Bookie, Global Diversity and Talent Inclusion Program Manager for Google Incorporated, thank you so much. And Selena Gibbs from University of Victoria, uh, one of the Canadian winners of the Anita Borg Scholarship of 2008. Both of you, thank you so much for spending time with us on Webcology here on WebmasterRadio.fm. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Jen. And, this um, was great. And on behalf of uh, Webmaster Radio, Selena, congratulations. Thank you so much. Okay, be well. Well, that's it for Thursday, May 15th, here on Webmaster Radio Webcology. Uh, this is Jim Hedger from MetaMen.com and Dave Davies from Beanstalk Dashing. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned to WebmasterRadio.fm. We've got some more great content coming right up. <laughs>